1: Joining me, uh, John Mincone, uh, actually former pro ball player. You guys may uh, know him from Twitter at J Mincone, formerly of the Mets system, talking a lot of baseball. We're going to be talking Mets offseason here. And John, uh, welcome to the program. I guess I'll start here. I, I don't know if you knew Buddy Harrelson. We were opening with Buddy Harrelson. You played briefly for the Long Island Ducks. Uh, any thoughts about the passing of Buddy into any interactions with Buddy uh, during your brief time in the Atlantic League?
2: Yeah, I've known him since before um, before I even played there, you know, just from camps and things. As a kid, when I was a kid, he's been around um, New York and Long Island baseball for a long time. Um, so just from that aspect, it was, you know, it's tough. It was uh, He was a big person in Long Island baseball. He was a big part of getting the Ducks to Long Island and professional baseball as a whole. But yeah, he was in the dugout at the time. He wasn't really, um, you know, coaching as much, in, you know, when I was there. But he was definitely in the dugout all the time. And he was an awesome person to be around, talk to. Um, so that was definitely a, you know, a tough loss for a lot of people and the, the baseball community here on Long Island.
1: Absolutely. So as uh, we go through the offseason, uh, in the opening, I talked about, you know, ultimately, when you listen to these executives talk, they'll they don't really lie to you. They may talk in Ivy League speak or they may <laughs> talk in riddles, but. David Stearns was pretty open at the beginning of the offseason, said he was going to focus on run prevention. And he used one word, opportunistic. And I wonder if we're at that point. I mean, this has been one of the slowest offseasons I've been a part of. Maybe there's something to the reports today that has to do with, uh, you know, cable rights and things like that. But it's definitely a lot slower. Maybe it's the economy. It could be a lot of things. But I think this is the time where David Stearns can be opportunistic. I'm not sure if Blake Snell is, is that, I'm not sure if it's Jorge Soler. Uh, what are your thoughts? Give us kind of an overview of where you see the Mets right now.
2: Um, yeah. I mean, even before Stearns took over, I don't know if this was something that a conversation was had, you know, prior to him becoming the Mets, um, the Mets uh, president of baseball operations, but Steve Cohen, even at the trade deadline said that they weren't really going to go out and do crazy things this offseason. And to that point, they haven't. So I think they've made a lot of moves that they had to to bolster Syracuse and the 40-man and um, bring it in. But, yeah, I I think a lot of the offseason being slow were held up by Shohei and Yamamoto. You know, there were two guys that so many of the big money teams were on and had to see kind of how they were allocating their money um, that a lot of things waited for them to fall. And a mix of that and next year. Next year's free agent class is huge. So I think a lot of teams are kind of, gearing themselves up to make runs at some of those guys. Um, so they're obviously Snell, Montgomery, which I saw something about, you know, him probably going back to Texas. Um, you know, I'm not sure, of, but I, I would love for them to go out and get Solaire. Um, right now, I think they need a big pitching guy. I mean, a big hitter, a big DH. Um, Snell as a pitcher, I would love to have him. I wouldn't say no to him, but I don't know if um, any offer they would make him would kind of make him want to get off the West Coast right now. Um, so I'm not sure, you know, if, if he's willing to take a three-year deal, definitely if he wants that life to, you know, end of his career ACE contract, I personally would still go after him and, you know, he's going to be an expensive three or four in the future, but he's still, he'll still be a solid three or four. Um, and money right now, fortunately for the Mets and Mets fans, isn't really that much of an issue if they decided to do that. Um, but I just don't know if there's enough there to really get him off the West coast.
1: Yeah, I've heard reports that he's a West Coast guy. And then there's the the draft pick capital, the international slot money. And that's always a tough thing. Like, I've always been someone about, hey, you figure out how to build your farm system. You always focus on your big league club. And, you know, I think that right now with the cost of players exploding, it's going to be critically important, even at least on the pitching side. You got to start bringing some guys up to come out of that bullpen. I mean, everybody's yeah. going to make a good pitcher is going to make $25 million a year. Also yeah, like 30, 30. I, you have crazy. to develop something. $15 million a year for Kyle Gibson. That's where it's at. It's not going back. Um. So, you know, you take on a Snell, even if you get him at a really good three year deal with an opt out high AAV, you are going to mm-hmm. give up prospect capital. And then the interesting thing to, you know, as far as that with Soler, I was looking at Vientos and, you know, a lot of his peripherals are good. He hits the ball hard. He's He's, he's obviously mastered AAA. He's at a point where either he's going to be 4A or he's going to be a big mm-hmm. leaguer. And you never really have given him a chance if you're the Mets. So if you bring Soler in, even on a one-year deal, you're perpetuating that. Because what is he going to play, third base? Eh, maybe. I know he's working with Lindor. So it's interesting on those two fronts, you're hurting – the if you bring in either a Snell or Soler or both, you're actually hurting development and you're going against one of the credos that, that Stearns had set out at the beginning of the offseason.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I agree that this, I guess if there's a year to kind of work those things out, this would be it. Um, Especially with them not going out and getting crazy names and making a lot of big moves. This would be the year to test those guys out. Um, It stinks that Ronnie, you know, got hurt. I would have loved to see him kind of get into it and develop his back. In my opinion, I think he is, his bat's the most dangerous out of all of them. And I would have loved to see him, you know, see him get that year before 2025 and uh, develop a little more. Um but yeah, it just depends. I think at this point, the Mets can still be a team that might sneak in on a wild card, can get to that, you know, 84, 85 win mark. Um, I don't think they're as bad as a lot of people are making them out to be. I agree. And um, to that point, I think that, you know, a Turner or Soler would help kind of push that lineup over the edge and fill that gap that we had, um, you know, last year at DH, where it was, I don't want to say an automatic out, but pretty close to it. Um But, yeah, from the pitching standpoint, I'd love to see Lavender up. He's been a guy that for the last couple of years, you know, he's just pitched well everywhere he went. And that's almost like, you know, what Paul Seawall did when he was coming through the Mets system and got to the big leagues. He had a little rough start with the Mets, but he just pitched his way through the minors and may not have had the flashiest stuff, but he gets out. And, you know, it wasn't for a few years until people realized, hey, it's not his stuff, it's his arm slot that is tricking a lot of the hitters. You know, he's still, he's a low 90s guy, not a lot of movement and gets away with it because of how he throws the ball. I think Lavender's kind of along that line. I'd love to see him up and making moves. Um, You know, they're starting, you know, the starting prospects they have as pitchers. I'm not sure kind of if they're really ready or, you know, some of them might get up later in the year with injuries. Hopefully, you know, hopefully there's no injuries. Right. But Lavender's definitely a guy that I would love to see up and kind of working out of the bullpen. And I I would like to see him almost full year, like give him the chance to pitch and pitch through whatever he needs to and get ready.
1: Well, and I have John Cohn at Jamin Cohn on Twitter, uh, you know, former uh, professional baseball player now, basically on social media covering the game. You look at the game now, I call it the tournament era. I guess it's really always been with the wild card, but it's more so than, than ever now. And, you know, Stern said something this week, and I thought about it with a team, and he referenced it in terms of the bullpen. The team in April, the bullpen in April is not what you're going to see in August and September. And you go back and you look at all these 85-win teams, 86-win teams. I mean, how many of them in this current modern era were under 500 in July? I mean, you could really – it used to be, hey, the first 50 games in the wild card era, you can mess around, figure it out. Think about how the A's did that Mm -hmm. one year when they had the 19-game winning streak. Now you get three wild cards. You could hypothetically mess around until late July, and be around 500, maybe slightly, mm-hmm. unless there's a couple of teams really running away with it, which in a three wild card scenario, I find that hard to believe. So yep. if you're going to have a season where you could figure out Beatty, figure out Vientos, you brought up Lavender, or maybe some of the young pitchers that, whether they're in the bullpen or not, there's a whole bunch of these non-roster invitee, roster invitee guys that have gone to driveline that we're going to get a chance to see. I mean, you could probably do that and still make the playoffs, laying it out that that's what you're doing. Um, you know, even when you're contending, you could do that to a certain degree. Uh, you don't want to, you know, get into that situation every year, but it's, it's really the game is not like it used to be. Everyone keeps talking about the Braves and the Phillies, and honestly— the division at this point, does it really matter? I mean, have we seen it matter? Maybe it matters a little bit probabilistically, but does it really matter?
2: No. I mean, you saw, look what happened to Arizona last year. I think they had 84, 84 wins, right? And yep. got to the World Series. It really, and the Phillies the year before. All it matters is you get there and get hot then. Um, so to get, you know, once you're in the playoffs, doesn't matter if it's wild card, division series. We've seen, you know, division champions ousted in the division series last two years. Um, so just getting in there and the best team in baseball, you know, getting, getting out of the first, uh, first round. So just getting in there. And as you said, yeah, now you could be, you don't have to be running away with the division in July to kind of get to the playoffs. Um, you have that. And um, going to the moves you just talked about, I, I kind of like those lower end reclamation project kind of guys. Cause now God forbid somebody gets hurt on the staff. You're bringing up guys that at least have big league time that are big league Pitchers, instead of bringing up guys that were, you know, double-A, triple-A guys, you're bringing up triple-A big league guys. So if needed, the help that's going to come in and fill these spots here and there will be, you know, more big league ready and ready to help you guys out in the long run, which um, a lot of people aren't pumped because they're not the sexy names. But I think, as Stern said, building that triple-A team matters because those are the guys that are going to come in and fill in spots, even if it's a day spot. You know, double-headers happen. You need two extra arms. You got guys that were there before, not guys that you're seeing for the first time, try to figure it out. Yeah, so, absolutely.
1: Um, uh, absolutely. John McCone with me here. And I mean, they made so much about the pitching lab. I mean, everybody they've brought in this off season on a non-roster uh, deal, uh, even at the most obscure name, has an elite pitch, seems to have something that you could point to that says, okay, whether it's an elite slider or an elite curveball. And, uh, you know, you're hearing and again, uh, sometimes these things become media narratives, these, you know, mysterious labs and everybody, you know, thinks they could fix someone. But I keep saying, to everybody, look, at some point, guys go to Houston and they figure it out. It can't all be spider mm-hmm. attack, right? right? It can't all yep. be Pelican nope. uh, uh, grip dip. It can't all be that. Right. Um, Tampa every year, you know, you look at that bullpen and I just scratch my head. I'm like. How do they do it? I mean, it, it can't be some kind of magic formula here. Can't be no. when you put the. So you look at the Mets, maybe they figured it out with the lab. They're talking about the lab. I've heard names like Jose Buto going there. I worry a little bit because everybody's worried about velocity. And obviously, there's going to be trade offs with velocity. Even Sean Manaya, his walk rate ticked up a little bit with the velocity mm-hmm. uptick. Uh, you know, does that matter? I guess we'll see. Um, but I think that it'll be interesting. This is really going to be the year. Can the Mets move into that Dodgers, Houston? Even the Yankees, to a certain degree, where these guys come over. Even bullpen arms. And all of a yep. sudden, it's like, how did Clay Holmes become that? Mm-hmm. You know, how did he become that? And why couldn't the Pirates do that? And why can't the Mets do that?
2: So I, I think it's a good mix of, one, the lab is fantastic. It's going to do incredible things to amplify the stuff that, the, you know, guys, when they have these elite pitches, they spin, you know, everybody feels the ball, spins the ball differently. Some guys are just, you know, fortunate to be able to do it better than others in certain pitches. What the lab's going to do is help them identify that, improve that, and then you'll see a pitching development side of it come in and say, all right, great, you have this world-class pitch, got to execute it now. So as you said with Manay, his fastball jumped up five or six miles an hour. His walkweight did also. Hopefully now they can kind of hone that in to be like, great, here's your velocity, now let's execute that fastball. Um, and I think that's where the better Houston and the Yankees and um, Tampa, they've kind of had that great combination of the two. Some teams are very analytical, where they're only focused on getting these pitches better. Some teams kind of are, I don't want to say old school because everybody uses the technology, but are only really like, all right, let's, you know, let's pitch. Let's do this. The combination of the two, which the Mets seem to be moving that direction with, Hefner's still there. You know, There's a reason he's still there. He's great at that kind of game plan, execution, everything, and now the new pitching lab. I think the combination of the two will help them start pushing towards that.
1: You still believe in Brett Beatty, John?
2: Um, I mean, listen, he's a lot he of red flags tore, there. It's a lot, a of, lot, red lot of red flags the, there defenses. I mean, obviously, his offense was lagging behind, but just defensively, you know, these guys need to come up and play somewhat serviceable defense.
0: Yeah, you know,
2: listen, if you could hide it. he was one of the top prospects. Maybe he's
1: your D.H.
2: Maybe he becomes right, listen, your DH you can hide he all these guys if they play serviceable defense you don't need every single person to come up and hit 40 home runs and hit three something like listen there are nine hitters too there are eight hitters too but be good at, you know be good at like something i want to say pick your struggle but pick your struggle (laughs) whether it's hitting or defense you gotta you gotta identify something that you're going to be elite at otherwise as you've seen with so many top prospects they're not around long um being a top prospect's great when you come up but it doesn't mean you're staying
1: and look you're you're a pro ball player you know the mental struggle, what really, and I keep going back to this and he admitted this to the reporters. Maybe he shouldn't have. I don't think he should have anyway. Mm-hmm. Game goes too fast for me and I lose focus. Those two yeah. things are huge. The yeah. game being fast bothers me. The The focus bothers me a lot. Now that could be something he could work on from a variety of different mm-hmm. ways, but the game being fast, that's a red flag because that's triple a double a V majors. And yeah. I mean, you know, probably jumping just, you know, the levels you jumped, how quickly the game changed yeah. there. And, you know, and, and you, I think and you were big league camp. You probably saw some yeah. of the of the speed of the, the game at that point.
2: Right. And it's, it's, you know, the game itself, it's not that the game itself speeds up. It's just mentally how you handle things. Pressure starts getting to you because you have more people in the crowd. You get louder noises. It matters more. You're facing better players. So it almost kind of tunnel visions you. And the better players can... I don't know if you've ever seen the movie for love of the game.
1: Yes. Yes.
2: When he, you know, clears the mechanism, clear the mechanism, great movie slows me. himself down. That's, you know, kind of what I tried to do my whole career when I pitch, it gets loud. Sometimes it gets, you know, even in Brooklyn in short season ball, there were seven, 8,000 people there and it yep. got loud. And sometimes you just have to kind of tune it out and do what you have to do. You know, college programs, top college programs, deal with the same thing. Um, so to that point, even when you start in the lower minors, they have, people available for you to speak to kind of talk through they have breathing coaches they have mental strength coaches they have all these people available to seek out if that's a problem for you and to you know kind of work on it if he didn't and he you knows that's a problem then that's definitely a red flag for me you know if listen some people can and can't deal with it I've seen so many great players that just can't mentally get over certain things and it's unfortunate and that's the way it is um, but as I said if if he can't figure it out, he's not going to be around long. And you he's, know, his name and he's 23. Him so far.
1: See, what bothers me is we're not talking about a 19-year-old. He's 23. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, I'm not comparing him to David Wright, but David Wright was already an established star at 23. Yeah. You know, we're talking about a guy, Beatty, that was top 25, top 50, top 100 mm-hmm. prospect, and I saw nothing there. And, you no. know, you put you – know, you you're going to put – good again, you talk about Vientos, maybe you give him a shot. And, and that's part of this, let's get to know what's in this organization over the first 50, 60, 70 games. But uh, at 23 years old, I'm not saying you can't get better. You know, you saw Daniel Murphy yeah. later in his career things like that. You're Turner, starting to left. become kind of who you are on some of the gears. Mm-hmm. And I also yep. wonder, you as someone who was pre-analytics when you played, I mean, maybe it's just too much some of this stuff. Like, I look at what they're going through, like, as a ball player. I remember the old, you know, Like in in the NBA, you know, let your instincts take over. Like John Stark, let Mm -hmm. your instincts take over, be who you are. And I know that's not what it's all about. But with all this information, I see guys on the on deck circle looking at iPads. I've talked to a couple of former big leaguers, some who are in the Hall of Fame, and they've said, I can't believe anybody would give me an iPad. And this is not going back to the 70s. We're talking guys who played 20 years ago saying, I don't want an iPad on the on deck circle. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy. It's like, you know, that's when you should be focused, zoning in. But it's there's so much information now. You wonder if that contributes to some of it.
2: I agree, and uh, I saw an interview by Brian Snicker, the Braves manager, and the Braves were one of the teams that were really first big into analytics. Their front office really uses them, and they've done a great job of building their team up. And so, from a fan perspective or a baseball player's perspective, I assume that like, hey, like all of them are into this. Snicker spoke after the season, or maybe it was last offseason, whenever it was, did an interview. Was like, listen, some of the guys love it. And some of the guys, you tell them stuff and they're like, let me just go in the cage and hammer this out. Right? He goes, I let them do it. Like we let them do it. And that's coming from a very analytic driven organization. Um, and I think that's kind of how it has to be, especially at that level. Some guys got there, but you know, you take a guy that played, you know, guys in his, you know, their early thirties, mid thirties, whatever it is. And, um, you know, they played their whole careers. Now you're going to shove all the stuff in their face. They may not want it. And you shouldn't force that upon them. Um, and the same goes for young kids. Some kids just grew up hitting baseballs in the backyard or hitting little, you know, I grew up I was a decent hitter, not great, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, hitting little wiffle golf balls with a broomstick just for hand eye coordination.
0: Right. Um,
2: some stuff like that. Um, it's great that you have the technology there when you need it, but it shouldn't be something that's like forced upon every single player and, you know, have to look at it a certain way because everybody processes differently. you know. I'm not saying they even do that with Brett. Brett's problem might be it's just a lot. You know, New York pressures a lot for people. It's You've seen lot. so many great athletes, even established, you know, Hall of Fame caliber athletes come to New York and kind of do eh and then leave and do great again. You know, it, it's a lot to handle social media. It's a lot to handle the media. It's a lot to handle all the stuff sure. that goes along with it.
1: And then I look at Alvarez learning the language, learning yep. uh, a, a skill position, Getting accolades from future Hall of Famers. I mean, when Max Scherzer talks about the kid, like he talked about, that was my first, like, wow, okay, this isn't just Mm -hmm. a DH. Because you hear all the reports, and it's hard because, look, I'm not a scout. I didn't play ball like you. I try to be educated. I talk to people in the business, but I don't have that eye. I'm not, you know, I didn't go to, you know, train on that. I didn't play at that level. And you hear what people say, well, you know, he's going to be a DH. You know, you look at his body. I was mm-hmm. like wow that's a fat guy you know but I'm not down there I don't see him in a locker room and 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 you look at everything he's done the framing the calling the game working with Hall of Fame future Hall of Fame pitchers and the bats struggled that could be understandable in the second half yeah. wearing down and you look at that and you're like well you know that guy is where you want him to be not 100% you right. got the other guy who's not even off the ground and um they're both facing the same things in, in a way Alvarez has so much more so much yeah. more on his plate, uh with expectations as well. So just goes to show you the contrast between the two. And the risk like going in and, and sixty games in, we don't know where these mets are gonna be. But we're gonna learn a lot about those two guys, assuming Beatty makes the club out of spring training.
2: Right. And uh, you know, his mindset, you know, mentally, that's a big it's a big difference. And you could it's I don't wanna say it's a physical difference. You you could see it though. You could see the way he Alvarez carries himself to the way Beatty does. Beatty is um, you know analyzing himself, overthinking things. Alvarez almost has that Pete Alonso mindset of like, yeah, screw it. Let's go out and right. play. Like, I love me. I love the, I love the you know, stuff. Y'all bring it. And that's yeah. the mindset. That, that's a
1: great analogy. That's, From day one, yeah. Alonzo had no fear. He was Something. almost just like, I'm having fun here. This is right. Great. You
2: fail. All right, cool. We're working through it. You know, yeah. some guys fail and, you know, kind of hide and say, what, why, why did I do that? Why, why, why? And some guys said, all right, I failed. So what let's, let's not the next time um alvarez's struggle second half could have been pitching adjustment you know it's the major leagues again with this technology hitting and pitching both sides are capable of making adjustments to each other um that's why i think senga had you know what senga did was super impressive because they he had a half a year for people to adjust and then he came back and was better in the second half um pitchers may have you know a little easier time adjusting than hitters hitters have to face hitting which is the toughest thing to do in baseball but I think that biggest difference between those two is in the mindset. And honestly, I think Vientos has more of that, you know, you know, casual, just screw it. Let's go see what happens kind of mindset, which especially in New York, I think is uh, is a good thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a couple of things here as we uh, as we wrap up. So first thing is, I think the offense will look a lot different if Starling Marte is healthy. Now, I know everybody likes watching winter ball on, on tape uh, <laughs> uh, on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. I remember a couple of years ago, Robinson Cano looked really good in winter ball. And the minute I saw that bat in spring training and the regular season, I'm like, the only time he hits the ball hard is the other way. That bat is slow, and he cannot keep up with a pitch. And sure enough, he was out of the game within 30 days. So it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what you do in winter ball. You got to do it against the big time guys. But he looks like he's moving better. He is so important. When they lost him in September, I think this was talked about over and over that offense looked different. I know he came back from the postseason and he really, and he played extremely hurt, which I got to give him credit. He shouldn't have been out on the field mm-hmm. at all uh, between the groins and, and the, and he had the broken finger and the groins alone would, would ground a lot of guys, but if yeah. he's healthy and you know, he probably shouldn't have been grounded most of last year to begin with, probably shouldn't have played it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be a big lift. Now, Maybe he's a step slower. Maybe he's not exactly who he was, but he could hit. And getting him to hit in that right field spot with that arm, even
0: mm-hmm. if you have
1: to spell him twice a week, you know, for, uh, you know, just day game after a night game, maybe he's just barking a little bit. That would change this immediately and give Gilbert and Acuna, who are going to be at AAA, some time because you, you know, you, won't, you don't want to bait baiting them. You know, right, I know, yeah. you know, Gilbert will be hitting over a thousand OPS come April 15th. I know what's going to happen. Everybody's going to want him up, especially if Marte's yep. one for his first 15. I, yeah, I already Marte see it. That's well. going to happen.
2: If he hits well, they're going to want him up anyway.
1: Yeah, right, right. Exactly. So I think Marte is a big, uh, a, a real big key to this offense.
2: No, I, I completely agree. You know, it, it, that's what I was talking about with potentially getting Soler or Turner, somebody to kind of fill these holes that the Mets had last year, um, even in the year they won 101 games, if somebody went down, they didn't have somebody dynamic to kind of step up. So getting him back definitely changes the game plan from the pitchers. You know, there's you have to pitch to him. You don't have that. Oh, it's like Beatty or Vientos kind of you know breath of fresh air that you had last year with that lineup. Um, hopefully those guys are hitting, and it's not like that. But with Marte back, it's a it's a legitimate major league bat that now you don't have that. Auto out kind of coming up, or a Vogel back where you can say, All right, like, no problem. He's going to be looking at strike three here anyway. You know, it, it just makes everybody kind of more on edge, on guard. It makes their game plans differently, and it protects the other hitters in the lineup as well, for sure. And I don't
1: think their starting rotation's that bad either. Look, I know that, you know, Sing and Ace, maybe he's miscast a little bit there. Maybe you got a lot of number threes, Quintana, Manaya. Um, you know, I like Joey Lucchese. I mean, maybe they can't go more than five or six innings. I mean, that's possible, and that's where the bullpen comes into play. I'm not sold on Tyler McGill, but we'll see. Uh, They Mm -hmm. seem to have a lot of depth now, even with the kids that'll be, you know, potentially Vasil, you know, maybe Christian Scott. You know, even if those guys turn out to be, like we said earlier, fours and fives. I don't like quantity over quality. Absolutely would love an ace, would love a vintage Scherzer mm-hmm. out there, vintage DeGrom. Yamamoto would have looked really nice, you know, in theory. We right. don't know what he really is. But I don't think their their staff is all that bad. And, look, if you go into history, you could win with bats, timely hitting, good defense, an okay starting rotation. And if they shore up the bullpen, and that's where I'm curious if they're going to go after a Robertson or a Chapman or maybe somebody who's legitly could be a closer – not the yeah. you know in theory value guys um you know i'd feel better in a lot of ways i'd feel better if they upgraded the bullpen a little bit than maybe if they got solaire because i think you could find that bat you know <laughs> maybe a little bit easier than you could find an elite closer backup yeah. to uh to ds to a certain degree you know at cost and things like that
2: yeah uh yeah so the way their staff set up now i actually don't Mind it, as I said, you know, I said it the other day. I think like they're not that far off from that hundred one win season, and obviously they don't have Scherzer, they don't have that one like that one, but they have Sanga, who's a one one a to somebody else. If you get you know a tr- you an ace guy in, then you have Katana, who's a solid two, and then you have kind of three four, three four, and a four five, which I would take any day over a one one and five 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 after that, which they kind of had when they had Peterson and the and all those guys starting games. Um, yeah. McGill is a starter. Eh, but I'd, I'd love to see if they can figure it out and get him in like a Trevor Williams role. Like we had eat innings out of the bullpen right. and spot start if needed. Cause I think Trevor Williams was so important to that hundred one team. I, I did not like see him go, yep. um, you know, again, not a flashy, sexy name, but he was a horse for them that year. And they need that again, especially with a rotation that may not be going more than five or six a lot.
1: So, there's the movie almost famous. I'm gonna say John Mincone had his own brush of fame with some 2015, 2016 Mets. I'm looking at the Brooklyn. You played with Brandon Nimmo. You played with mm-hmm. Hansel Robles, uh, Paul Seewald, who you mentioned. Yeah. Nothing salacious, but do you have any fun stories from your time in the Mets system? Maybe you know that you want to share with the listeners. You know, oh, it it uh, experiences, guys that you hung out with. You know, things that. You know, baseball stories that, you know, you always take – Thomas Nito is on one of your teams and yep. Jerry's Familia. You know, you got you got a good collection, Fortos, Seth Lugo. And, man, yeah. a who's yeah. who of Mets from the last five, six years?
2: Yeah, pretty much every – you know, especially in spring training. I was close with Steven Matz just from being on Long Island. Sure. I, I've known him since we were younger. He I love – I got criticized. Yeah.
1: I love the Mets to acquire him again. I think he's underrated. Yeah. I think that people wanted him to be something that he's not. He's a back end yeah. number four. Right. I give you number two. Sorry to interrupt, but I think no, he gets okay. a bad rap because I, I wonder
2: if that would happen with the whole way. Everything shut down with uh, St. Louis and Steve Cullen. I don't know. I don't know if you yep, uh, go out and get him again. Yeah. Um, but, but just from knowing him, I was, you know, he be, he was best friends with DeGrom by the time I got over there. So hanging out with Jake and getting to just listen to him talk about pitching and he was still in the minors at the time. This was before he even got called up. Um. But yeah, we, I, I was very fortunate when I was in the Mets organization. I think we led all of the minor league organizations and pitching categories. And like, it wasn't even close. We blew, we were blowing people out of the water. Like our staff ERA in Brooklyn in 2012 was like silly. It was, I don't even great, know if you have that great up right ballpark now. to pitch great ballpark right. to pitch in, you but know? even so it was, it was like a, you know, a three or maybe under, like it was a ridiculous staff ERA. We had Robles. We had
1: 2.62. I just
2: looked it up. That I was just... our staff. ERA. Yeah. Yeah it, yeah.
1: it was insane.
2: Um yeah. and yeah, you were
1: you Mark, had a pretty good year. 1. ERA, all almost yeah. a strikeout per inning, you know?
2: Yeah. You you would get yeah, some was...
1: talk on X if it was like what
2: it was now, you know. If it was yeah. No, no it was, it was fun playing um I, I got to play again with a bunch of guys. Even even the next year up, we had Ahmad Rosario coming up and um uh, Conforto came in and Floeki and Nito and Nemo, Gisellman was on the staff. we had a lot of great, great, great um players coming up to that time and it was a lot of fun to spring training like watching the baseball that was being played on our side fields in spring training was insane um and, 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 I learned and, a and lot that's crazy
1: that. to think about the kind of pitching that the mets had for a decade yeah, and i talked about the minors this.
2: still and it's hard
1: yeah. it's hard to replicate yeah. that like that's that's the big rub now and that's the big challenge yeah. like they've had to go out and buy and, and trade with bassett and buy some more and I don't think right. you could buy five good guys that you're going to get. No, I,
2: I've seen on Twitter all the time. People are like, well, what happened in 2013, 14, 15? Like, why can't we just do that again? Not uh, easy. Because they had, when I signed there in 2012, they had Zach Wheeler, Matt Harvey, DeGrom, Cinder, like Syndergaard came over after just like Seawall Lugo, Lugo, who was not known by anybody at the time. He sure. was just, you know, a pitcher in the minors. Jazelman um, <laughs> developed. Um, Robles ended up being... Pitched for a while, Dario Alvarez, who came through and had like the best season I've ever seen a human being have on a baseball field in uh, twenty fourteen. But we had so they had so many pitchers. Like organizations just don't luck into having pitchers like that. They had four aces in the minor leagues. That doesn't happen all the time. So I was very fortunate enough to you know kind of come up and play with those guys and watch them on side fields and hang out with them off the field. Um, but yeah, that, we got spoiled with that run of guys coming through because that doesn't happen often.
1: So you're a former Mets prospect, and as I'm talking to John, he has a Mickey Mantle picture behind him. We know he likes Mickey Mantle. Yeah. We know he likes he know he likes Muhammad Ali, and he's an yep. Arizona Cardinals fan. I got that one right.
2: A lot of that stuff just there's J.R. Lewis over there. I don't know, stuff <laughs> my dad kind of my dad liked acquiring things when. Uh... So it's I'm, he was I'm going out with clients and at auctions, and I was fortunate enough that between my brothers we split a lot of it, and I got some cool stuff.
1: So you got some cool. but you were were you were yeah. playing for the Mets are you from, you know being from Long Island were you a Mets fan growing up? were you I was a
2: Mets fan growing up? so like that was again, kind that of was, a cool thing.: yeah, yeah, it was really cool. so that, that was I, I, I thought they were going to draft me out of high school and then out of college again, and it ended up being the Cubs that kind of snuck in and took me and they were the team that I didn't talk to. Um, They were one of the few teams that I hadn't had conversations with, and I think the scout said he saw like a YouTube video that my dad had put out of me pitching wow. in the draft room, and they decided to take before the next round. Um, so that kind of snuck up. I thought it was going to be the Mets initially, and I was you know, very fortunate, well, unfortunately, after my dad passed, that the scout reached back out, invited me to a local workout, and I ended up throwing for him, and they signed me right after that. But it was really cool getting to play, in Brooklyn especially. Because at that time, you know, right after my dad passed, my mom was able to take my brothers, get out of the house, come down, watch games. My family. Who was, was the manager you
1: played for when you were at the uh, the, the
2: um, system? So Rich Donnelly was the manager in Brooklyn. There, Mar- uh, Mark Valdos was my pitching coach. Yep. And then we went when I went to Savannah. Mark came with us as a pitching coach, and it was Louis Rojas. So
1: oh, so you knew, Louis, so you yeah. knew a little bit about Louis, you know?
2: Oh, I I played for Louis there. I played for him in St. Lucie. When I decided to retire. I became really close with Louie. He called me in his office and had like a two hour conversation with me before I actually told them that I was not going to be playing anymore. Just trying to kind of talk me out of it and saying, right. you know, all this wrong wrong
1: place, uh, wrong time for Louis Rojas with the Mets, wrong situation. I,
2: I still think he's one of the best baseball guys out there. That's why he's, you know, still out there. I think, yeah, had it been a different season, different everything, but as a manager, I, I still think it was just a rough spot for him. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't even hate if at some point he was back. At some, you all know, I could see him managing someone.
0: Um,
2: Absolutely, but one of the nicest guys, one of the smartest baseball guys around. Um, so I had them, uh, who was in Double A? Is it Pablo Lopez? Probably was that a. was during the yeah. Pablo. He was yeah, and he, he was, was highly there. regarded for a while yeah, too. He, so. he was great. I was very and the pitching staff, the pitching coaches that they had there. Frank Viola was still in Triple A. Mark Valdez. Um, Phil Regan was in St. Lucie when I was there. Yeah. So just so many great. And that feeds into why that, you know, those pitchers were so good at that time too. They just had an outstanding staff of guys around them to talk to, to, you know, Royce ring came in my last year, guys that were there that, um, you know, we just got to hang out and talk to. And, you know, as you got older and you see them out, you could even kind of hang out with them while you were out and talk to them. Right. Wherever you were. Um, but they were so open and so available to helping everybody and talking to any, you know, no matter how good they were. X, you know, Sandy Koufax was around our complex a bunch, working with um, Chris Young when he was rehabbing. You know, sure. he was somebody that they were close with. Um, and even him, like the the people that they had in that organization at the time was just fantastic, and it showed through that pitching staff.
1: And you, as someone who went through the system, you have to feel for a guy like Ronnie Mauricio, whether it's true or not, that he, his agent stole his money. That here he is playing, when a ball gets hurt. You know, yeah. I get it. You know, an ACL, just like with Diaz, I always feel it was going to happen. Just happened. Yeah, out, a know. lot of it's it kind of is... like a car is going to break down. Right. Yeah, it broke down. Why did you have to drive it to go to the store two miles? Couldn't you have walked? Well, yep. it was going to break down eventually. So that was just right. happened to be the time, you know?
2: Yeah, I, I tore mine. And um, when I was in with the Cubs organization and doctors said the same thing, they're like, it was just a matter of time, There's nothing you could do you don't know, you don't know until it's done. It's not like I had an achy knee. It just happened. Um, But going back, yeah, I I don't know what happened with his initial agent, but from being around and knowing guys that signed, I was very close with a lot of Dominican players, Um, you know, especially in the lower minors. A lot of them are trying to learn the language they want to be because, you know, they just like learning. And that's something that whether or not it happened to him does happen quite often. A lot of them got taken advantage of, especially some of the bigger signing guys. It's unfortunate, but they don't. You know, they're happy to get signed, and they're happy sure. to get this, and and they're sure. told that this is the way it goes. And yep. then, you know, and they talk to their friends, and it happened to their friends, so they don't think you know any different. They just assume that that's kind of how it goes, and it's an unfortunate thing. Absolutely. Um, hopefully, it didn't happen to him specifically, and that was all you know made up just for his sake. But it's definitely something that is not not known at all. You know, it's it's very well known in the you know in professional baseball that that is something that just happens. Last thing. So
1: is it true I saw next that you said you never officially retired? And if you showed up t- – so you could show up to Port St. Lucie next month and potentially <laughs> throw can- your hat in the ring and say, you know what? I'm a non-roster invitee.
2: I can make this club. Look, it's an I open mean, competition. I mean I'm sure it would be in the minor league side because I'm not going to a big <laughs> league contract. But I- I'd probably show up and be like, all right, here's your release papers. But, yeah, <laughs> they, um I had some shoulder issues at the time and – you know my agent was like listen seattle seattle and houston both of them were like you can get in your car right now and drive to their triple a team and like you'll be up by next year they want you up and i had asked for my release and um i stayed the mets basically said no Dickie scott called back and was like he was running you know the minor leagues at the time and said we're not giving you your release so you know they paid for me to stay in florida for two weeks kind of and You know, I kept throwing with guys on the side. I didn't show up to the complex, but I kept throwing with them, stayed in shape, and I was like, I'm just done. That's when I went and had a conversation with Louie, and they'd asked me to sign a voluntary release or a voluntary retire form. I said, no. I was like, I'm not, you know, I don't know if I want to, you know, what's going to happen. I don't want to sign a retire form. I have to deal with any kind of logistics going forward or. So yeah, technically they never released me, and I never signed a voluntary retiring form. You're, so, in, you're in baseball. You're I'm in Mets in baseball.
1: baseball. That's great. Exactly. Mets That's exactly. Where
2: I'm so if I showed up, they'd either obviously after this point, I'm not going to play. I'm not, oh, come whatever. on.
1: That's an impractical jokers. <laughs> That's an impractical. I got to get the impractical I'm, jokers I've been guy. I've thinking in.
2: about just showing up just for the content of it. Cause it'd be funny.
1: That would but, be funny. Um, if you had the cojones to do that, I would love to see that on X. But
2: I, I got to imagine I kind of show up, say hi to the clubhouse guys. And within yeah. minutes, somebody would run out and give my release form. Be like, you right, go, be David Stearns might run on himself. And say, get <laughs> this guy out, get We don't want
1: to pay him. You know, it's another, yep. it's another expensive thing. Well, John, this has been fun. Let's do this again. So what do mincone on x twitter whatever they want to call it i always get confused what do yeah, you got coming out i know you're trying to get you know your social media uh yeah. you know your baseball analysis out there what what, what what's the the plans in the next few weeks going into the season for so you?
2: um you know i've started brella over the last few months and have been bro- building up it's kind of like a you know a social media media company um have some really cool podcasts joining up uh not just in baseball but some entertainment some comedians coming out like decently well-known people so it'll uh it'll be a fun ride but that'll be kicking off in the next few weeks
1: Absolutely. Well, I'm looking forward to talking yep. to you again. This has been great. Be well. And uh enjoy uh enjoy uh, the baseball season is coming. We'll talk again. All right, John.
2: You as well. Thanks so much.
1: And that's John Mincone, former Mets minor leaguer at jay Mincone on Twitter. Um so uh another another show on the book. So like I said, next week, Hall of Fame. We're gonna talk about the Hall of Fame. I'm gonna get my Hall of Fame uh ballot out there. I'm sure if you're a subscriber to be on the mic on X. At Mike Silva Media, you could get my ballot. You could get, you know, what I'm going to be talking about with the Hall of Fame. We'll probably, like I said earlier, talk a little bit about Reyes and Wright who are on the ballot, remember them a little bit. But, um, you know, ultimately, we're going to have our Hall of Fame show like we do every year. We'll see where the rest of the offseason goes. We've talked about the Mets being opportunistic. I'm not sure we're really going to see a ton the rest of the offseason, but remains to be seen. I think the one thing, and I've been saying this, you know, for a while, be open-minded because I don't think you know what's going to happen, and it's quite possible that you know something comes out of left field. You know, the Mets are the kind of team with their money, with their uh, president of baseball operations slash GM and Stearns that I think no stone is going to be unturned. So it'll be really interesting to see what the rest of the offseason where it brings us. But we're in the opportunistic phase of the offseason. We like to label. You guys hate. The whole getting to know you phase, I know someone complains sometimes, not more than one person complains, says, ah, I don't want to hear about getting to know you phase. Well, we're going to have the getting to know you season, so I don't care what you guys say. It's the getting to know you season 2024, and there'll be the phases, and then there's the, you know, you know what do they need phase, and go get it done phase, and things like that. So, you know, we'll do that. So I, I just made another uh, another phase up here, you know, the opportunistic phase of the offseason, so Anyway, maybe we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll coin that and, and use that. Sorry. All right. I want to thank everybody for joining us on another edition here of the Talking Mets podcast. I want to thank John McCone for joining it. You can check me out all the time at the Talking Mets podcast. Pod, at the Talking Mets podcast.com. Get me on X at Talking Mets, no G. No more Mike Silva media at Talking Mets, no G. And you can show up on podcast, Spotify, Pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silvat, TalkMets Podcast.com. No G, Mike Silvat, TalkMets Podcast.com. You could also get me on Substack, Beyond the mic newsletter. Check it out, substack.com slash at talking no G. And of course, I want to thank the good folks from fans side of Podcasting Network for hosting the show. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll be back for another show next week. Till then, take care. Peace.